Hey, you're listening to Millennials Leaving Mormonism. We were raised in the Mormon faith, and now in our 30s, we have decided to leave this high-demand religion. We chat about our story and reflect on our journey of deconstruction. Hopefully this helps others if they have decided to leave, or just provides people with reasons why some do. We hope you enjoy. All right, episode two. Here we are. Ready to get into the deep dive? Let's do it. <laughs> this is the ugly, unheard Mormon history. I feel like it sounds very oh. intense, but it is kind of intense. It is a little dramatic, but... <laughs> well, first we want to talk about um, our shelf items, which basically what that means is there's things along the way in your life that come up about the church that you maybe hadn't heard before or you think might be lies or you experienced, but you're like, nope, church is true. I'm going to put it on my shelf. So some of the things growing up, that I had issues with was specifically priestcraft. So priestcraft is uh, selling your testimony for a profit, basically selling your belief or your religion and making money off of it. And so the church, not necessarily tithing, I think that makes sense, that is talked about in the Bible, but the thing that I had a huge issue with was the leaders of the church selling their books in the mormon what is it called desert book it's like the church bookstore basically and so all these apostles and prophets would make a ton of money off of these books that they make yeah that's definitely something you've talked about before and i was always like oh john they have to you know do something with their time they're so old something and they have to make a living but since then we've learned that they oh they do make a living and they do get paid and that's something actually we also were taught that they don't get paid but they actually do it's called a stipend but a good six-figure stipend yeah, and that's another thing that was super weird because growing up in the church, you always hear, I remember since primary, you're like, well, our church is true because no one gets paid in our church. That's different than all the other mm-hmm. churches. And then you grow up to find out that any general authority makes a lot of money and yeah. it's not a small amount. It's very strange that they tell you that when that's not the case at all. And I get it. They left other jobs, but they're, but they're 95 years old. <laughs> but that's what the, in the Bible, yeah. they left their ships and their nets and they yeah. went out and they followed Jesus and they yeah. didn't have any money and they didn't, I don't know, it seemed like a very different thing. And so that was something all growing up in the church that bothered me before my mission. It especially bothered me on my mission. And then after my mission, I just put it on my shelf and didn't really worry about it. Speaking of people volunteering, the local people do volunteer, but that's almost crazier because it's not like the local people are often making that much. I mean, a lot of them do up like bishops and stake presidents tend to be really wealthy, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case and that they don't get paid and they have to volunteer a lot of time. Like you said in the last episode, your dad was hardly ever home with your family, but he wasn't getting paid to do all this extra church service and yeah, and that's actually something that's kind of weird is that they don't call you to be bishop or stake president unless you're making bank. Yeah, unless and you know how they know if you're making money or not is because you're tithing. You're tithing. <laughs> they look at your your tithing receipt. If you make enough money, then you get called in those positions, which yeah. is super weird that you wouldn't just call the most worthy or, I don't know, I guess oh. God only picks people that are wealthy. It's weird. So what's your shelf item that you had before the deep dive? I had two shelf items that were big one was ex- the experience in the temple which a lot of people have shelf items about that because it they don't tell you anything beforehand they just throw you in there and they say you're gonna make some covenants and they give you a, vi- a really vague preparation i never took preparation classes um but they just kind of vaguely tell you what's gonna happen but then you get in there and there's all these like intense covenants and promises you're making 
and they throw you under the bus and they're like, if you want to leave, stand up and leave right now. And you're like, well, my family's here and this is awkward. But there's a lot of weird symbolism, but I always put it on my shelf because I, I just thought, oh, there's a lot of symbolism in a lot of religions. And there are. And there's a lot of things in religions that you would be like, that's weird. Um, but with the temple stuff, I learned some history about the temple stuff and where it came from, which we're going to talk about that has now broken that part of my shelf, but that was always a shelf item. And that it used to be that women were very separate from the men and very um, subservient as far as the temple covenants go to the men, which they've changed now. How convenient. Um, And then (laughs) the other one was polygamy, which is also kind of a man woman thing where um, that was always something that people associated with our church. Oh, Mormons. Oh, how many moms do you have? Like how many wives? It was always a joke. And you're like, haha, that's funny. We don't do that anymore put on the shelf because we don't do it anymore. So it obviously doesn't matter anymore. But when you look back at the actual doctrine that Joseph Smith like brought up, it was basically that it was a celestial rule, like an eternal rule. So in the eternities, there will be polygamy as far as what the church teaches. Those are mine. But um, along with those, so you have these questions, you have these shelf items. The reason they become shelf items, I think, is because you're not allowed to question them. Even though the church is, the church says you can have questions you're not really allowed to question because then they start thinking, oh, you don't have faith or you need to pray about it or don't worry about it. It'll make sense in the eternities, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's a, a quote, I don't remember who it's from, but this is a real church quote where he's like, uh, finding the answers to your questions is not the solution. Do you remember right. that quote? Mm-hmm. So they don't, they want you to have those questions and say, that's okay to have questions, but don't look for the answers because that's not going to bring you more faith. It's just a very weird concept where... They don't, it's okay for you to have questions, but not to find the answers. And then when you do question, they tell you that you can pray about it. There's certain things you can do. Pray about it. Listen to the prophets and apostles and, you know, ask maybe like your bishop, but don't go past that. You can't look things up. And back when we were younger, like the internet came out when we were kids, right? Before that, there were people leaving the church and they were anti because they had to go to the library and they had to study all this stuff and it wasn't readily available. So they obviously went out of their way to destroy the church and find out all this history, right? And so there were a lot of people getting excommunicated from the church because they were having these questions and then they were sharing their answers that they found um, that didn't come from the church necessarily. But now we're, I don't know when the gospel topics essays came out, but the church got ahead, not ahead. I think, what's the word? It was like, (laughs) they reacted, they reacted to, oh, now the internet exists and people are figuring out that our history isn't all it's cracked up to be and that we aren't telling our members everything. Like people, when they join the church, don't know everything. People that were raised in the church don't know everything about our history. And it's kind of important to know if you're going to commit your whole life and your money and your time to a religion. So now the internet's out, everyone can share history, learn history. So they have their own official version of the history called the Gospel Topics Essays, which are a little bit fluffy still. And I don't think they cover things quite the way that they really were, but they try to, you know, tiptoe around it and still give you the truth. So the first one I had was polygamy and polyandry. So polygamy, we talked about a little bit. I never knew that Joseph Smith practiced it. I always thought it started kind of with Brigham Young. Mm And he practiced it, Joseph Smith practiced it in like secret. That's actually why he ended up going to jail and then getting killed by a mob in jail because <laughs> so, of polygamy, right? Well, yeah, it's because he was secretly practicing polygamy. And then there was a newspaper. And I think a few of the people that wrote the newspaper ad were former members of the church, if I remember right. It's called um, the Nauvoo Expositor. 
But they wrote a piece on Joseph Smith saying that this guy is secretly practicing polygamy. Joseph Smith found out that they were going to write that piece and ordered a mob to go burn down the press. And then that's what landed him in jail, and that's when the mob came and killed him. So growing up in the church, you always heard Joseph Smith was just this poor prophet that people kept picking on for no reason, and we don't understand it. And it's probably because, you know, prophets are always prosecuted because they call out the, the wicked people. But that wasn't the case with Joseph Smith at all. And that was a huge thing when I found that out. I had no idea. I had no idea about the him ordering a mob to go burn down a press. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and on my mission, since I served at a church historical site, we always had to watch, or we always ended up watching this Joseph Smith restoration movie that was a big deal that had come out and it showed his that whole story. And it's always like so sad and he always cried at the part when he's like going off to jail and then he gets murdered and you're like oh my gosh like this martyrdom is like this is so crazy that this happened but like i never knew why yeah. i didn't know why he, he went to jail deserved it. <laughs> and there's a lot of mob history and like craziness that happened that the saints and like early members of the church definitely did not deserve um and even joseph smith i'd go as far to say like they probably persecuted him harshly for no reason at certain times in his life i've been reading a book called no man knows my history and that's a kind of a big shelf breaker for people as well that's really good and covers a lot of joseph smith's life and there are some mob situations where you're like that didn't really seem justified people were just kind of intense back then so i will say that much but with him actually going to jail and dying that was around him being sneaky and marrying random people and also marrying people's wives that was a really weird thing where he i I don't think it was like he did it all the time but there was definitely one case of someone that went on a mission and then he married that person's wife. And it's like, if what he claims, he's like, well, I just needed them to be a part of, because that's the whole thing with Mormonism, right? That's like the probably a bigger foundation than I would say even Jesus is being sealed to your family. That's, that's the key. It's getting sealed and staying sealed to your family. So Joseph Smith said, well, I just need to get these people sealed to my family so we're all connected. We're one big happy family. But I've heard arguments. Okay, well, if you're going to seal uh, that person to you why not just seal her as a daughter instead of as your wife because mm-hmm. then they're still sealed some in your of them family were 14 <laughs> <laughs> and some of them were his uh legal adopted kids yeah he was a legal guardian of these kids that he was then marrying mm-hmm. and it's just and there were so some bad. that were that were wife daughters which so people have there's a chart out there that's like a comparison of like warren jeffs and joseph smith and warren jeffs definitely had a lot more or at least worse i don't know He's, he's a terrible person, but Joseph Smith, like, it's really similar. It's creepy. And it's just, especially when that Keep Sweet documentary came out, you're like, that was also something I think that I watched before I was questioning. Yeah. And I was like, hold on. This sounds so much like our church because it was our church at one point. The kind of apologetic of polygamy and that what we were raised thinking was that it was because so many people were dying on the plains, like the pioneers mm, going mm-hmm. to Utah with Brigham Young. That's why Brigham Young had to have so many wives because they otherwise they wouldn't be able to take care of themselves. They needed to reproduce, all these things. But that was bull because it was happening with Joseph Smith and they weren't crossing any plains. And he was marrying people that were already pregnant and were, you know, already married and things like that. And so you're like, hmm, that doesn't really... Why were we told that? <laughs> or why was that like a rumor and no one shut that down? The other thing that we learned was the several first vision accounts. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that, that one's super weird, and the church has a way to explain the way. 
But again, being in the church, we were fully invested for 30 years. I had never heard about another account of Joseph Smith's visions. Yeah, and what we do on missions as missionaries is we repeat the first vision over and over and over. And it's supposed to be like this really powerful uh, moment. And honestly, it was. The first vision we repeated was a pretty powerful uh, vision. But then we learned that Joseph Smith had several other versions of his vision that he would tell people. He would say that, oh, I saw first was like angels and then there was it was just god or just jesus and the way the church writes it off is that kind of like a retelling of a story like oh well if you were retelling a story you might say things differently in different versions and i'm like if i saw god in jesus i would have one story and it would be the same (laughs) (laughs) yeah this isn't the podcast if you're looking for deep details on stuff Listen to LDS discussions on Mormon stories. That's a great one. And there's a lot of great resources out there if you want more details and like work cited. (laughs) We're not those people. And and that's one thing that I really enjoy doing is I went on a deep dive, listen to everything that is quote unquote anti-material and then go listen to what the church says. I did that for everything that I researched. Yeah, John Fair. was a very good researcher. <laughs> well, I I think that's crazy that people just listen to one side. You shouldn't listen to just anti-material, and you shouldn't just listen to the church. You should listen to both and then make up your own mind. And that's what I did, and that's how I've come to where I'm at now. Um, another thing is the whole racism aspect of the church, which I think is probably one of the things that has gotten the most backlash besides, you know, LGBTQ um, stuff. But definitely racism in the priesthood um, that started with... Well, it started in the beginning. They didn't give um, African-Americans the same priesthood that everyone else in the church got, which the priesthood is the ability to do basically anything in the church if you're a male, uh, give blessings, go to the temple, all of those things. Yeah, it's worse than I thought because I've always heard that they didn't get the priesthood. And yeah, that is terrible, but it's even worse than that. They didn't weren't able to go to the temple mm-hmm. and be sealed to their families, which why would you? <laughs> Why would you even be in the church if you couldn't do that? Right, because that's supposed to be the tippy top of everything. And then on top of that, Brigham Young was just a racist person in general. And there's so many quotes out there that he has that are just terrible. And it's crazy that our church schools are all named after him. And he was just so racist. Um, And he, you know, and the crazy thing thing I always thought about, this is another thing like polygamy, where it's just, it'll make sense in the end. We don't know right now, but it'll all make sense. So they would always kind of write it off as, oh, it's slavery, you know history it's different like the civil war blah 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 but it wasn't until the 70s the 70s that the prophet finally said all right we can change this 1978 so almost the 80s that's so crazy again they always frame it as well we want we've always wanted to give blacks priesthood but god said no mm -hmm. you're you're like really god told you that and just the whole way there is a i think it's an lds discussions episode about you know how he got the revelation or how they had finally agreed on it and it's very uninspiring and not what we were taught at all how the prophet and apostles received revelation it was almost yeah. like hey this is becoming an issue we should probably deal with it are you guys good with this yeah we're all good with that okay let's move forward yeah and it's the same reason that polygamy ended the only reason polygamy ended was because they were going to get in trouble by the government yeah they couldn't get utah couldn't get statehood unless they stopped practicing polygamy Pretty sketchy stuff. Um, I wanted you to talk about a little bit about the Book of Mormon because you definitely <laughs> dove into, and you could go on as little or as long as you want about the Book of Mormon and where it was supposed to come from and where you, what you've actually found out about it. So, yeah, right off the get-go, I just want to say, like, 
it is fascinating. I, I am super fascinated by the Book of Mormon because even the, the top critics can't really explain where the Book of Mormon came from, which I think is fascinating. They kind of have ideas and theories, but no one can really pinpoint how Joseph Smith did it. So that's I think that's super interesting. In the Book of Mormon, there's all sorts of things that point to it not being an actual historical document, which from that from being inside the church forever, you just assume, yes, it's historic, it's all true. It goes hand in hand with the Bible. Yeah, it's, it's taught. the same thing. We were always taught it was historical. It was directly translated by Joseph Smith, which... This is another historical thing, but we were always taught he was he just translated by the power of God. We found out it was a seer stone in a hat. So it was a stone that he used to find buried treasure on people's property that later became a stone that he could put in a hat, put his face in the hat so it would like block out light. And that's where he would see the translation. So he didn't even have the Book of Mormon in front of him where we were raised that he was looking at these gold plates and he was reading them off to someone who was transcribing it. And that's how he translated. So that's a whole thing with Book of Mormon, too. It wasn't even translated the way that we were raised, believing it was translated, which is outrageous. But yeah, going along with the stone and the hat thing, that's another thing. I was in the church for 33 years, never heard a single thing about a stone and a hat. All the pictures, they show Joseph Smith sitting there with gold plates, writing down the Book of Mormon. And so that's what you think he did. It's crazy. crazy. <laughs> and so, yeah, some of the anachronisms in the Book of Mormon which are really crazy are uh, the horses, um, elephants, uh, domesticated livestock. And one of the things I thought was really interesting that someone brought up is not only it's the things that shouldn't be there, but things that should be there that aren't there. So for example, I guess turkeys, jaguars, cocoa beans, you know, if there was a- jaguars in America? Yeah. Well, they claim it's in South America and jaguars in South America in like the Mayan. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's like a huge deal for them is the jaguar. And mm-hmm. so it's all these things. Not only are all these things that shouldn't be in there, but all the things that should be in there. Nephi was Jewish. Mm-hmm. He came over from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem and uh, there's no mention of any of his Jewish practices. He's a Christian from day one. He's like, I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. Christ is the best. And you're like, he would have no concept of any mm-hmm. of those things. These were Jews, and they are, for some reason, have this whole 18th century Christian belief system. Yeah, a lot of people say it is written similar to the books of that time as well. Um, like of the, the 1800s. Of the 1800s, rather than... And it reads very differently than the Bible, except the parts that he actually took from the Bible. And There's a lot of little little things. And that's a lot of like, little details. Yeah, dive the into the thing, Book of Mormon. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to get really buried in the details, but you should because it's super interesting. Um, but the, the big stuff is like this Jewish family is acting like a Christian family. Mm. They talk about things that aren't in ancient America, and then they don't talk about things that were definitely there. That's really interesting. Yeah, I haven't actually done that much research into the Book of Mormon stuff, which is why I kind of look to you for that because... Um, it seems more history channel and that's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. If you're, <laughs> but if you're a middle, if you're, if you're a 30 something plus dad, for sure, it'll be interesting to you. Fascinating. Fascinating is the word. Um, one of that was fascinating to me and also very uh, frustrating. It's from the CES letter originally is where I saw it, but masonry um, and the temple. So the temple is the most sacred thing you can do in the Mormon faith. And it's not unheard of. It's in, there's talk of the temple in the Bible. Lots of religions have temples, 
but you're taught that that's like the cream of the crop that you can be in is once you go through the temple. First, you get your endowments, which is where you get garments and you make the first covenants and everything, usually before your mission or before you get married. And um, then you get married in the temple and then you just keep going back and doing stuff for people that have died. So family history is a huge thing in our church. And that part of that reason is because you want to take those family names to the temple. But then I read the CS letter and there's a section on masonry and they compare and contrast Masonic symbols with temple symbols. And it's extremely frustrating. And I won't go into it because I still want to respect people that are Mormon and not like blurt out all the covenants and things and the signs and tokens. But if if that bothers you or if you haven't heard of that, that's something that really made me mad because it was like I said before, it was always uncomfortable And I'm like, now I know why, because it was from Masonic Rituals, which Joseph Smith was a Mason and they've changed it over the years, but it used to be even sketchier than it is now with the Masonic stuff. So I don't know if you want to talk about anything with that, but that's kind of as far as I want to go with that. It's just really frustrating that they're basically hand in hand with each other. Well, yeah, the church claims now that these Masonic rituals really are the ancient, ancient rituals that go all the way back to you know Jesus times or whatever but Solomon's temple Solomon's temple it's that's not true <laughs> it, it's just not the case so no and it just it's just makes so much sense knowing that Joseph Smith knew all those symbols of course he's going to put them in the temple rituals and yeah super uncomfortable so looking at that if you're interested in learning more about that one the other thing that I came across recently and I just realized this is actually on the fair mormon website as well. Fair Mormon is one of those apologetic websites that the church has has come out with to kind of defend some of the awkward history and make it fit a faith-promoting narrative, I guess. But when I read another history, it's the history of Joseph Smith from his mom's point of view. And there's a story in there of his dad, Joseph Smith Sr., having a similar vision to the Tree of Life, which is a big story in the Book of Mormon, about the iron rod and the tree of life and this great and spacious building. He basically had the same exact dream. Their apologetics are kind of funny. And I just watched this today. They kind of say, oh, well, it's like, did he copy from his dad's dream or did his dad have inspiration before this dream came out (laughs) that was the same as like Lehi's inspiration because Lehi had this dream and he was Nephi's dad. So makes perfect sense, right? That maybe it was just inspired but no, it, <laughs> and then they also tried to say because it was through his mom's perspective and it was so detailed that maybe she stole it from the Book of Mormon and wrote it in, which you're like, that's a little bit more plausible, but still kind of crazy. And there's a lot of little nuggets like that where people kind of toy around with the idea of, oh, Joseph got this idea from this book in the 1800s or from this person. It's never, it can never be fully proven right or wrong but at least it's kind of interesting like you said fascinating no it it really is really interesting i think joseph smith was just a sponge in this highly religious community and so there's all these people with all these i'm sure the the speeches back then or the sermons were amazing and so he picked out the best nuggets from all these people and then when he actually you know they always say when he wrote down or translated the book mormon he didn't do any writing i don't think joseph smith at this time was very good very good with pen and paper but i think he's always was always good at talking he was able to pick up like his dad's story and these sermons 
And that's when you get all this faith-promoting stuff in the Book of Mormon. You're like, how could some dumb farm boy, you know, make this up? I don't think he did. I think he got it from the best people at the time and then put it in the Book of Mormon. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? A lot of people nowadays, they, like, don't go to college, but they become really successful and they learn a lot and they, you know, these influencers are different people. And it's because they can Google everything and they take, like, everything they learn, they soak it up, and then they kind of blurt it on out or make it their own version. And I think that this is like the 1800 versions of Google, basically, like he was soaking everything up from things around him. And No Man Knows My History is a really good book to learn about Joseph Smith. And I wanted to read it because I had heard it referenced, but also because I was like, you know, I don't know a lot about the leader of the church I belong to. I don't know a lot about, and they say that Jesus Christ is the leader, but really Joseph Smith was the prophet of the restoration. He was the one who brought Jesus Christ's church back. So it, I was just like, I want to know more about who he was as a person. And it's pretty much what you said. He just learned a lot from what was around him, even though he didn't go to like school traditionally, which a lot of people didn't back then. He still soaked up everything. We were always told he was just a dumb little farm boy, but learning more about his history, you're like, I don't think that was the case. He was actually soaking a lot of things in. But yeah, so that's a lot of the history that bothered us. And we also had some modern day things that bother us regarding the contradictions of prophets. And John has a favorite one. Do you want to share that one? <laughs> yeah. So growing up, Hinckley was the prophet. And I've, I always liked Hinckley. He had a talk that he talked about how it's not a big deal that people call us Mormon. Who cares? And when people call us Mormon, you should just think of the great man that they're calling us you know mormon was this amazing person that uh you know compiled the book of mormon and did all that stuff and he's just amazing and so when people call us mormon great that that's great it's a shortened term instead of the church of jesus christ latter-day saints which is a mouthful yes then nelson comes out and says not only is it not okay to be called mormon god is offended when you when someone calls you mormon like we should never ever allow this this is a horrible thing that kind of struck me I'm like that's kind of weird but again i kind of dove a little bit deeper into this after and nelson's been focused on this for uh like 20 years i think it was like a 1980s talk he said that jesus was offended when you say mormon and then hinkley after that said no we're good and then you know hinkley died thomas s monson died and then now that it's Nelson's turn, he's like, you know what? I did talk to God and he did have a problem with it. So it's just, it's ridiculous to think that these guys are speaking with God. There's a really good quote that they're like, I don't trust people that say they speak for God because what they say God says always aligns up with what they believe. Mm. I'm like, dang, that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's, and it's always been that way where... I mean, most modern prophets will contradict another prophet in one way or another. And we're supposed to just kind of, they never bring it up and say, you know, I know that this prophet said that, but God's changed his mind. Like they don't bring it up in that way. It's just kind of like shove that under the rug. I'm the prophet now. I'm going to bring up what I want to bring up. And it's really frustrating because I get that times change. And so it's if it's like modern day, then maybe things change. But things like the name of the church and how extreme that was, um, is always that one was definitely frustrating because you're like really it's that big a deal and people knew us as mormon and we had like a negative connotation with mormon but also because they put so much effort into the i'm a mormon campaign like we had billboards in times square we had buses 
I was a missionary doing the I'm a Mormon chat where people would come on the chat and request missionaries. And a lot of times they were trolls. This is where I first learned the word word trolling. This was like in 2010 (laughs) before it was a word. But uh, anyway, so that was a big deal. It was actually making a turn for the better, the word Mormon. And then Nelson just went and threw it all in the garbage. But yeah, that was essentially a lot of the history we covered. I don't know if there's any other ones that bothered you. And now it's just frustrating how much the church is trying to make it sound okay when it's their fault that none of us knew it in the first place. If you would have just been honest and they talk a lot about consent and how there's like no consent in the church, like we should know all the things. And I get it. If you're raised in the church, we're probably not going to learn some of the weird things as young kids, right? But maybe when we're in the teenage years, it would be nice to know that why polygamy started and that what polyandry was and, you know, all the things that definitely would have you question, but they can't do that because they don't want you to question. They got to keep you. Yeah. If it's not faith promoting, they're not going to talk about it. So they're not going to tell you that Joseph Smith didn't use the gold plates. He just used the seer stone, not faith promoting, not going to promote it. Joseph Smith had a bunch of wives and I know everyone harps on that one that's 14 years old mm-hmm. but there's uh, he, he wrote a letter I don't know if you've heard about it the happiness letter have you heard about that I've heard of it so he's propositioning uh, Sidney Rigdon I believe his daughter to marry him and the things that he the way that he's trying to uh, convince this girl to marry him is so gross He's just saying that basically you can't be happy unless you follow all of God's commandments. God commanded this, so let's get married. And if you don't, uh, it's going to be horrible for you. God's going to punish you. But let's just get married. It'll be cool. Is that the one where he says a fl- angel with a flaming sword is going to murder me or you? Or it, I don't think it says that specifically, mm. but it says God's wrath will like be unleashed if you don't follow all the commandments. And, so and that sounds so Warren Jeffsy to me. It's creepy. I don't like it. <laughs> I haven't read it, but I don't like it. And this is what also bothers me, just as a little end note, that we have so many books in our church. We have the Bible, which is the King James Version, and also has a bunch of translations by Joseph Smith from the King James Versions to fit his narrative, which is also one of my shelf breakers. And then we have the Book of Mormon. And then we have the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenants. There's a lot of books and you can never know everything in all the books, right? And so it's like you you read them and then you allow the church to kind of teach you what they're saying, like through gospel or through Sunday school or primary or young women's, wherever you're at, they kind of like just sum it up in a nice little bow. And then you never really think critically about any of them. You just let the spirit guide you and you say that was a great scripture and you take it out of context when you need to and (laughs) that's it. But then when you finally look into what they say, you're like, wow, this is actually super uncool, especially Doctrine and Covenants. There's a lot of stuff in there that you're like, Doctrine and Covenants is the whole inspiration that Joseph Smith got from the Lord of all the modern day things that we follow. The last thing that was kind of a big deal for me was kind of that, what was that documentary called? Uh, Keep Sweet. Keep Sweet. Mm -hmm. So I watched that and that was kind of weird. But then when you start looking at cults, the cult leaders always do the same thing. They go for money and they go for women every time. And so at the end of the day, what does Joseph Smith do? He made a bank and he took everyone's money. <laughs> he and tried he, to. <laughs> and he had like 30 wives. And you're like, there it is. It's a pattern. Humans never change. It's always the same. 
he was a cult leader. That's all mm-hmm. there is to it. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just interesting to examine over the years. So you have the history that you were never taught, and then you learn. And then you kind of see just how the church has always folded or molded itself to fit whatever it needed to fit. So with polygamy, they took it away because they wanted to get statehood. And then the blacks in the priesthood, they took it away probably because they were getting a lot of crap for it. Or maybe they needed more membership or who knows? There's well, who knows civil the rights was reason. big in the 70s. Civil rights. Yeah, of course. And but, you know, there's a lot of outside pressures that change the church. I think that's why there's a lot of progressive people in the church that stay in the church, hoping with all the current modern day issues that it'll change. And I do hope for the best that they will change, but they're never going to admit that they're not actually inspired of God. So it's going to be a long waiting period for them to actually give in. But that's how it's been all over the years. And so I think that's what makes it different and what makes it more unique than a lot of these like cults you see about documentaries or things like that is that they have been able to mold themselves to fit just well enough within the culture that we live in at the time to make it okay. And there are a lot of good things in the church. Like we've talked about, there are so many things that are really good. And people in the Mormon church are genuinely really good people um, most of the time and just want to be the best they can be. But at the same time, the church itself as an organization definitely is just kind of trying to get by these days and stay as close to the doctrine that they teach as well as stay culturally acceptable. But yeah, that's kind of it for the history. I mean, we aren't deep divers into the history because there are so many great podcasts and YouTube videos and websites that you can go look into. I like LDS discussions, like I mentioned. Um, There's probably a few other CES letter we've talked about. Any that you want to reference that you liked. The Fair Mormon was a lot of the ones you watched, which are the church apologetic side. Yeah, Fair Mormon and there's Saints and Scripta. There's a kid on there that's Mm. really, really good at giving the, you know, the Mormon... uh, point of view so he's really really good i really like his arguments Mm. but at the end of the day once you compare the two arguments it's to me is a a no-brainer yeah and i do like that you said you should watch both sides listen to both sides to formulate your own opinion i think that's a really mature way of going about it yeah that's it for now we'll come back and chat more on the next episode about our next episode's about feeling the spirit which will be a fun one yeah hope you can all feel the spirit while we talk about it (laughs)